one, I couldn't find anyone that I thought had a long enough runway with me. And two, I just wasn't sure that the product in the way I had envisioned it was actually going to work. One characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. It was grit. And we're back. Well, some of us. Landon is actually technically here, but he is not on the mic right now. Instead, yes, that voice that you hear on the other end is not Landon. It is Pete Bernardo, our second guest on Made with Grit. Welcome to the show, Pete. Thanks for having me, man. I'm yeah. really excited. Yeah, totally. Pete is a fellow Atlantan and bootstrappery, podcasty, software e person. All the things. All of those things. So yeah, I, I actually... All poorly. Re- yeah. Hey, we're out here. Doing is 80% of it, right? I've heard. I hope. Yeah, is what we tell ourselves. I referenced Pete on a couple episodes ago. And yeah, you should check out his podcast, Product of One, where he talks about his goings on. Is that a weekly weekly-ish yeah, something I'm like really that trying. yeah yeah i was in the conference last week and i recorded like a quick 10 minute one and then i tried to do another one this morning for about 10 minutes so they're about 20 minutes i try to keep them all about 20 minutes once a week yeah that's where we planned to sit but we never we always go over so <laughs> i can attest i listen to the show it's perfect like commute duration i can finish i can finish it before i finish my drive it's, so it's easier when it's just one person yeah recording. well when you have Someone who will not be named rambling on the other end, you know, things go long. So who that is. he's defenseless because he doesn't have a microphone. So anyway, yeah, when I reached out to you a couple weeks ago asking about some technical stuff. So I, yeah, anyway, we were able to get together. So I figured, hey, why not have you on the show? So you run Punchlist. So I guess if you want to maybe tell people what Punchlist is. Yeah. So Punchlist is a way for project managers or web design agencies to get feedback and content on a live website. So I spent about 15 years working for an agency and a couple agencies and doing my own projects on the side. And just throughout that whole career, I just always saw this one pain point of trying to get a website done. And it sounds stupid, but there's really no one that's come up with a solid solution around it. So they end up sending Word documents and Google Sheets and Slack messages or text messages or PDFs printed out with annotations on top of it. And just really messy. And so if you think of like the emotion that a project goes through, they'll start off like with this really high, high of like, we're kicking off this project and we got these great designs and this thing's coming to life. Like, I love how you've executed it agency. And maybe they'll start to build the site and they start to see it on their phone or in their laptop and like things are going great. And then comes the time to actually like put real content in and everyone hates it because it's, putting a lot of pressure to get it done. And on the client side or the customer side, they're scared. Like they don't want to put this thing in the real world. And so they're nitpicky about every little word and making sure it sounds right on the agency side. They literally just want to get the project done so they can move on to the next one. Yeah. And so the goal of Punchlist is to help both sides of the house, the customer and the agency just get the project done. And so it does that by allowing them to run the site through a tool, Punchlist, and allows them to annotate in real time and collaborate. So on the customer side, they get the one URL, they can mark all the feedback, that agency can review feedback by the page it was given on, and they don't have to ask dumb questions. They don't have to say, which page were we talking about or where on the page were we talking? And then for the customer, they have peace of mind knowing that everything was done correctly. And so that's what I built. And the part of the story I skipped over is I was a UXer. You know, I was on design. I never had written software. So when I left this great job I had, I had to teach myself how to write software. 
And so it was funny this morning, you're asking me to come talk to you about something technical. Yeah. yeah. That's Here a you new, are. That's a new thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now the student has become the master. <laughs> no master yeah. of none. <laughs> the more, the more you learn the real, the more you realize there's no mastery. Yeah. Right? A hundred percent. That's awesome. We've been using punch list here and there. We were talking before we got on, but as we've talked about on the show, we are redoing our websites. And so we were trying to find an easy way to like collaborate on conversations around it. And I was like, Oh, I think I know a thing for that. So that's been nice. Feedback offline. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll send you a screenshot with feedback on it. And I was actually, when you were talking, it was running me. I had a very brief stint at an agency in a past life. And like suddenly I started sweating when you were talking about the old way. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I just remember Snagit, I think, mm-hmm. just Snagit, annotated Snagit screenshots just oh, yeah. flying around through like shared folders and email attachments. And it was just a, it was a disaster. Oh, it's super so. cumbersome. And honestly, like this phase of, phase of a project, it's so surprising, but every agency does things a little bit differently yeah. and no one really has come to a, a nice solution to it yet. Yeah. There's no like standard there's no standard yeah. and you see it a little bit better on the design side of the house where people are using like Figma now that has annotation built in or they're using Envision app. But the irony to me is the sites at that stage are all fake, right? So the designer is using like the best idea of what the content's going to look like. Yeah, or the it's like most Mipsum, perfect imagery. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah, or like the most perfect length headline. And then when a real content gets inserted, everything breaks down. Yeah, yeah. And there's no tooling around getting feedback at that stage. Yeah. Right. So you're left with people literally taking screenshots of a website, throwing them in a PDF, you know, annotating it through a PDF or just writing kind of like very generic comments about the headlines too long on this page. And then, like I said, you're asking really dumb questions, questions that feel wasteful. Like, which page are we talking about? I thought we already changed that. Yeah. You know, are we looking at the same site? You know, it just it feels for lack of a better word, dumb like it's a lot of dumb work. Yeah. When it's all like frozen in time, right? Exactly. Like the classic problem of like you've resolved certain things, but then the PDF doesn't know that. So exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't reflect that. Yeah. For those of you who haven't checked it out, you can go to punchlist.st, right? <laughs> yeah. So the way I tell people is just the word punchlist and then it's li.st. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. better than my weird way of doing it. But one thing I really like is, and this makes sense because you're like a designer kind of background, but I really like the branding and the name. Thanks. I'm hardly an expert, but it looks cool and I like it. It makes me feel good when I go there. So I was curious where, like, I mean, I can see where the word punch list, like how that plays into sure. the thing, but like, where did you, where'd that come from? Yeah. I mean, for people that don't know, punch list is typically a term in the construction industry or the housing industry. So punch list is something you do as you walk through your house at the end. You go room to room and you literally make a list of things that need to get knocked out. Things that are left for you to sign off on this house. If you've ever done a new construction, it's the thing you do. You walk through and you put like little dots everywhere on the site where they messed up on paint or where the door doesn't look right or something got screwed up. And so for me, that's kind of the metaphor I wanted to bring to these websites. It's we're going to go page to page and we're going to mark the things that are left to do. the left to get knocked out. Yeah. Which is the headline. It's something like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And on the flip side... Like I said earlier, this stage is never fun for both sides, you know, the customer or the agency. And so I want it to be fun. I take a lot of inspiration, obviously, from like MailChimp or Intercom or some of these brands where they've brought like a really human side to the product they're building. And I said to myself, if I ever did a product, I just want to, I want it to be fun. I want people to enjoy often doing this very tedious thing of, of knocking out this nitpicky feedback from a customer. And so I always liked Mike Tyson punch out. And so the idea of like, an 8-bit style yeah. 
let's knock out these bugs or knock out these pieces of feedback have always been exciting to me. And so that's what it is. It's, it's literally a boxing glove and the word punch list. And yeah. it's that combination of the metaphor of getting it done and having fun doing it. When I noticed, it seems like the podcast intro music is like also a little 8 bit. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's good. Yeah, it's a little like 8-bit like band music. Yeah. Again, I just want to have fun with what I'm doing. I left a long career of being like on a very traditional path to do something different, to kind of fulfill this dream of building my own product and seeing if I could do it by myself. And the by myself, a lot of people get caught up in since I've done everything myself on on the product from having to write the software to writing the landing page to, you know, setting up my Google Analytics, like literally everything. I don't have an ambition to do it all always by myself. Yeah, It was just, I wanted to see if I can get it to this point that it is now where people are paying to use it. And I'm actually having to like run the business now. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, I would imagine there's some personal satisfaction in achievement in like teaching yourself how to build software and Is that where the motivation is or is there more to it or is it? No, actually, it's not that much ego driven. It's actually, I had done a bunch of things over the years where I've started little side projects with partners, people that I thought complemented my skill set well. But the problem was finding enough runway where there was alignment in kind of like both founders or both partners being on the same page for this product. It just never lasted long enough for me. And you guys know, like this stuff takes years. And so for me, I didn't really have anyone that was in the same boat with me at the same time, whether it was life or career, anyone that I could really count on and saying like, okay, like we can do this together for a few years without this being our full-time thing. Yeah. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to have to do it on my own. That's going to give me the most optionality in terms of building this product. So you mentioned like at least your intention is not to do it alone forever. It's more like, it sounds like you're more doing that way because that's what makes sense. Yeah. I think for me it was can I get the plane off the ground? Yeah. And we're we're at a point now where it's off the ground. And now I'm starting to see probably over the last six months or so the benefit of pulling other people in. So within the last two months, I brought in two part-time developers to help out. I just hired like a copywriter to kind of help with like ongoing marketing. Nice. So I'm starting to see the benefit of pulling others in and delegating and allowing me to really focus on the vision of the product and going to events and really thinking long and hard about the roadmap and allowing myself to get out of the nitty gritty of like this bug is existing in the system. And you guys have that between the two of you where you can go heads down in code and and Landon can focus on sales and vice versa when you need each other. And so I definitely see the value of having others that I can depend on. Yeah. It's like if your mission was to like have your own thing, have the flexibility and like there's no obvious yeah. team of people. It's like, just go do it. Yeah, I didn't know it was going to work. And also enough interest in like actually teaching yourself. Obviously, you need yeah. to have some thirst to learn some yeah. stuff. And honestly, I didn't know if it was going to work. Yeah. You know, I just thought it would. I thought my gut in terms of how I knew this world worked, how the agency world worked, what the pain point was, having seen a bunch of different agencies. You know, I ended my career in the agency having been one of the three guys running the agency. And so we met a lot of agency owners. We went to a bunch of bunch of different private conferences where we saw their agency owners. And so I have felt like I had a really good grasp on kind of what the pains or gains that these agencies wanted. Yeah. But I still, you know, that doesn't mean anything until yeah, people start still paying a lot for it and you have to build it. Yeah. yeah totally. So that's kind of where my head was is one, I couldn't find anyone that I thought had a long enough runway with me. And two, I just wasn't sure that the product in the way I had envisioned it was actually going to work. Yeah. I mean, I always like had the intention of kind of having my own thing. But I definitely remember points, especially when I was younger, like wondering like how that was going to manifest itself. If there's no like obvious candidate to like partner up with, yeah, then that definitely 
changes the way you think about it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I had built this one product with a good buddy and he's still a good buddy. It was feedback for for employees. It was anonymous feedback for employees and we had a bunch of companies using it, but our motivations were very different. Like yeah. I really wanted to go build a startup and I think he really wanted to build a product that he can leverage to get like a CTO gig. And it was just like where he was in life and what his ambitions were versus where I was in life and where my ambitions were, were very different without it being said. Right, right, right. And that stuff, some of it doesn't even become like, maybe it's not even explicit. Like I want this. It's just like revealing itself to both of you as you progress through. Yeah, exactly. And I think from each side of it, we both felt we were on the same page, but it was only in hindsight, like looking back, like, oh no, we were like worlds apart for what this meant to us. And again, we're still close friends and we're going to have lunch actually tomorrow. Yeah. But he's the CTO, COO now of a big multi-million dollar company Yeah, and I'm running my startup. So I think we both got what we wanted, but for me, it was very eye-opening to be like having built something, be on the same page with someone to only realize like, no, 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 you weren't even close to being on the same yeah, page. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The time horizon thing is such a big, I mean, I know everyone in SaaS talks about that, but it's like, especially bootstrapped, you have to be ready to be in this for a while. And so, yeah, if your motivations or like if he has some end date where he's like, I'm going to go become something completely different, that that sort of changes the whole approach. And I think in the moment, everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. Yeah. But like when you really get down to brass tacks. Well, like, like year four, it's like, are you still into it now? Right. Yeah. That's a long time. It's hard. It's hard to have those conversations with people. It's hard for partnerships to be really that transparent enough yeah. to get to the point where you're having those raw conversations. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I guess that's just the human experience, but it's like, it shouldn't be that difficult, but it just is. It's just easier not to have those conversations. Yeah. I think it's why half the country gets divorced. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard. You know, if you think about how much pressure there is on that to get that right yeah. and it still only has a, you know, less than 50% success rate. Yeah. I could see why. Yeah. One of the big reasons startups fail is like partner friction. Totally. Founder friction. That's what I think about when I hear like talk about like dating co-founder kind of dating sites. Like mm-hmm. I'm glad those things exist and I've been fortunate that I never had to like use that, but I think it's just like any dating thing, right? Like that's just the beginning. Like there's a whole world of things in between that and like deciding you're actually ready to partner up with somebody. So, oh yeah. So with all that being said, staying solo is actually a good way to do it where you can just figure out what the, cause we talk about this all the time, like it more in terms of fundraising since we obviously there's two of us, but it's like, we didn't want to raise money for something. We don't even know, like we don't even know what this thing is. Mm. So I could see that from this perspective too. Like yeah. you get to figure out what this thing is by yourself yeah, and like, for sure. And now that you're there, it's also more obvious where people can help, right? <laughs> yeah, I saw this great talk by Jason Fried from Basecamp years ago, and he talked about never hiring unless you've done the job for a little bit. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I look at in terms of having done everything for, for this initial time. I kind of understand what it should look like now. Yeah, totally. And it's actually been really beneficial. So I just said I brought on a couple developers. These aren't the first two. Like I've tried other developers before, and, and I've let them go pretty quickly just because I knew what it should look like. Yeah. And that's from a outside perspective getting into development, but I knew enough to know like, no, that doesn't feel right. Like your work ethic or the code quality or just how you're approaching these stories just isn't up to what I need. And so that's been really beneficial. And as I think through like bringing on the copywriter now, or as I think about like ads and that kind of stuff, having done a little bit of this stuff by no means makes me an expert, but it does give me enough of an insight into what it should look like that I think it's, totally. it's going to save me money in the long run. And then the other thing is it just puts me closer to the customer, right? So the fact that I had to deal with the bugs, yeah, the fact that I have to do all the onboarding, 
the fact that I do the cold outreach. It really, in my opinion, like reduces the cycle time to getting to like a refined message. For sure. I mean, that's why people do support rotations, mm-hmm. a lot of like engineering teams and stuff, because there's a lot of things that people like if they feel the pain directly and they have the means to change something. It's amazing how many things you can fix. Yeah, you hear about that stuff period. on other podcasts about founders talking about like the first week of onboarding, everyone goes through the support department. But now for you guys and, and for me, having done it for our own companies, like you could see how important it is. Yeah, totally. Just to have that empathy for the consumer and hear what the actual pain points are. Yeah. And like you could have a team of developers doing like most of your roadmap and it's now you have the ability and the like knowledge of the code base that you can still deliver that, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. That'll be a thing forever, even if you're not day-to-day coding anymore. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned getting the plane off the ground. Mm. And I know I was catching up on your recent episodes, one of which talks about pricing. I was curious to ask you, like, I know you have paying customers and stuff, mm-hmm. but I also know that you've been like in flux on like a new pricing model sort of thing. Yeah. What's the latest? What's the latest? So backing up just a hair, like for the last year I've been doing kind of only annual subscriptions where I handhold and walk the customer through the product, tell them what the annual pricing is and get them to commit. And I've done that one to kind of suss out what my price should be to kind of walk through and get them to trust that I'm actually going to continue building this product. Yeah, yeah. Last year we went to MicroConf, right? And yeah. I did starter, you guys did growth, but at starter, Ben Ornstein talked through like his pricing philosophy to find his price. And I thought it was like really interesting for tuple. He sold annual subscriptions and everyone he reached out to, he kept raising the price just to find the sweet spot. And so that idea of like not really needing a pricing page and like just doing it manually through your cold outreach was intriguing to me. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to hear what caught people's ear in terms of what the product can do. I wanted to hear kind of what friction the price ran into yeah just any objections people ran into what were they and just to leverage that so for about a year i did that actually a little bit less than that and for the last few months i've kind of like been working on a, a larger update that rolls in kind of the major features everyone's been wanting for the last few months and then my pricing so it's essentially like v1 of pricing yeah okay because this has like the formal yeah like the this structure will be just place. like traditional self-service okay. like go sign up and pay monthly as opposed to like force them to pay annually so this last conference i just went to it was me rolling out pricing to people verbally just to hear how they would react to it and also kind of the constraints i'm putting on pricing so right now uh, it's this annual subscription i'm moving a, a pricing model also rolling out like teams so where people can kind of onboard their whole team onto the product and so one of the things i didn't want to do is actually charge by user so i've had a lot of feedback mixed feedback on this where it's like set one price and then charge by the seat and in this agency world a lot of those products run into a lot of friction because the roles at the agency are so varied yeah and so a lot of these small agencies that are i don't know a couple million dollars in revenue maybe their headcount is around 25 employees they might only have two project managers, right? And so those are the people that typically use punchless day in and day out. Yeah, totally. But the rest of the agency will interact with the tool on maybe a monthly basis. And so getting them to pay for 25 seats just hasn't really resonated with people very well. And like, I know how those things go to where you like, you don't want people to like freeze yeah. and they're like, I'm going to send it to Bill. And they're like, oh wait, is that going to like trigger a... Yeah, let me roll the slider across yeah, yeah, and yeah. see how much it's going to cost. And I can always change to that. Like I'm comfortable adjusting my pricing that's the benefit of me being the sole decider yeah but i've been 
trying to be clever as I talk to agencies in terms of like what they gravitate towards. And so maybe a month ago, I thought my pricing was going to move to a model of a single seat at $35 and then 10 seats at about 125. And so it's a seat as a project manager. But one interesting observation that a couple other agency owners mentioned to me was 10 seats is like a massive agency, 10 project managers. Yeah. Cause that's like each of those has like a team of people that they work with. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, if you figure a project manager maybe represents five to six people, yeah, like a 60 person agency, we're talking like, I don't know, 10, $12 million agency. And so the, the idea of only charging them $125 a month for this tool, it's going to make it really their life a lot better. Did it make a lot of sense for people? And then also the gap between one seat and 10 seat didn't feel good to them. They yeah. felt like they were being forced into a 10 seat account that they didn't want to overpay for, even though it was cheap. Like the per user math is like, this is way cheaper, Exactly. not if I only have four users. Exactly. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing is I'll leave the single seat at $35. I'm going to do three seats at 70 and five seats at 125. And I brought that 10 seats down to five because I actually want to have a lot more conversations around those bigger agencies. I actually want to like force the conversation Yeah. and I'll position it as like, we'll do enterprise pricing or, you know, some special terms, or I want to talk to you about whatever features you want. But more importantly, I just want to have the conversation with them on what does 10 project manager agency actually need. Yeah. And so at this conference, I rolled out that pricing 35, 70 and 125 on a monthly rate. So I'm excited about that. And the response was pretty good. It sounded like response was great. My existing customers that were at the conference, they all nodded their head. They're like, that wouldn't have precluded us from using the tool. Yeah. And then everyone that I kind of went blind into the conversation with that they had never heard of the tool before, they asked what the pricing was and everyone was like, oh, that makes complete sense. And I kind of went through my use cases with them. And once they hear the use cases and kind of what my value proposition is, it all made sense to them. It's one of those things where we've had these conversations too, where it's like, it's not seat based, but like seats or project managers are like still the value metric. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it's that friction you're trying to reduce by doing it like in buckets versus like pure usage seat count math? Yeah. So I don't want to, to give any friction to them sharing the project. Yeah. I don't want to give them any friction to adding like a basic user to a project, right? So the reason why you would add a basic user is that you want their feedback or you want to assign kind of like a piece of feedback to them, an item to them that's been marked on the website. Yeah. And so I don't want to like pause that moment. Yeah. I don't want yeah. to slow that down. You know, to a large part, the more people that I get into the tool is a wider reach for the tool. So people move to different agencies. There's a lot of you know internal movement within the agency world. So the wider my reach can be, the, the better. better it is, yeah. right? And so my head is in the scenario where really the people that create projects and manage the feedback are the only ones that really need a paid seat. And then everyone else from the client to the designers, they just sort of need like kind of a collaborator. Yeah, seat. like I just need to see some stuff and go fix some stuff. Basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And really what's been interesting about this year has been just kind of the tools they're using in tandem with Punchlist. So they'll be sending items to Asana or moving it over to Asana. And then Asana is really where that task happens. gets owned. Totally. Yeah. So those are like possible integration points for exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. And so this idea of like getting them to pay per seat for Asana and then for Punchlist, they're going to make a choice there. Yeah. Right. And I don't want to lose on that choice. So that's kind of where my head's been. It's like, okay, I'm going to charge a premium for your project managers. The people that I'm actually making their life a lot better. Totally. And then the people that are on the edges, you know, they'll just be an unlimited option. Yeah, that makes sense. And so it sounds like you're close to like actually launching this, right? Yeah. So I'm curious, what's the process been like? We haven't talked a ton about this, but I'm always interested to hear about the actual technical bits about like, how are all these things like modeled? The thing that people don't talk about a lot is like Stripe 
I'm assuming you use Stripe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the first. Yeah. <laughs> the interplay between like Stripe, your database tables, the features that are accessible to different, you know, in your case, like user roles. Yep. Like how has that process been? And like, kind of, do you feel like good about where you've landed on, on that stuff? Yeah. It's funny kind of where this conversation is going. This was one of the things that highlighted the value of like pulling in like experts or people is the first task I gave one of the two new developers was actually writing a script to migrate all my customers over to like team plans and maintaining their existing subscriptions and making sure that all works. Yeah. And in my head as the the novice programmer, I was like, Oh, I would do it this way or that way. And here's how it would work. And then this guy comes in and he writes one command that actually has like a test option on it. So he'll show me what it does before it actually does it. And yeah. it's just like really thorough and it was beautiful, honestly. Yeah. And it just That's amazing. This yeah. is a good time to bring in some outside help for these kind of big, big projects too. For sure. And so this script actually migrates all the existing customer base onto the new plan, but it leaves their Stripe subscription alone. So all those people are grandfathered in to nice. the old pricing. And so it just, it does that all perfectly. And part of that was we actually have to build a team for them. We have to name the team in the system. And so kind of, we have like a default pattern match on their name to build a team for them based on the company name that they gave. And we've tested it a few times against the production database and it worked fine. So yeah. I'm excited about that and keep my fingers crossed that we didn't miss anything. Yeah, these are the things like I want to hear more people talk about. So people talk a lot about code debt too and mm-hmm. like technical debt. Sure. And this, I guess some of this is a form of that, but I feel like there's like a specific billing category of that that I'm always intrigued by because it has nothing to do with the business logic. Very often it is almost entirely built around like the billing. Like yeah. it has nothing to do with the business logic or maybe a little bit to do with that. And it's all about like, how do I talk to Stripe and mm. record that stuff? And then, yeah, every time when people talk about experimenting with price, no one really talks about. Yeah. If I had a dollar for every time I had to like rebuild a Stripe plan <laughs> yeah, just yeah. because they won't let you change pricing. Yeah. And it's like, it's I'd a feature fine. in a way, like there's cases where that feels like the right thing and there's cases where that feels like the wrong thing. Yeah. But it's actually been really eye opening this whole like process of getting the pricing right and making sure that I consider the existing clients and figuring out how to migrate them over and kind of think through the onboarding of them getting their teams in the system now. It's been good. It's allowed me to actually take a step back and think through that strategy while the two guys I have like actually work on executing the things yeah. that need to happen. So is the plan that your existing customers will be able to like take advantage of this new because I'm thinking in my head like the team would just be like if I had a plan it would be called like Kyle's team, but it's just a team of one person. Mm. Is that how it's going to work or is it going to be like, and now I can like invite people and like move up the tiers? Right. So there was two plans I sold on an annual basis. Originally, I sold a single seat and then I sold a team account. Okay. And my promise to them has always been, if you bought the team account, I'll just put you on the largest team account I have. Okay. So I will be able to take advantage of like a regular team. Basically. Yeah. hundred nice. percent. So the onboarding is them actually putting real emails for project managers and getting the rest of their team onto the system and walking them through that. Because right now what they've been doing is honestly, all of them have set up generic customer account emails that punchless responds to. And so they share a single seat right now. Yeah. So moving them onto this, they're going to really appreciate it. One, because now there's a lot of functionality that really they don't get to pay attention to because it's based on the premise of using an individual's email. Yeah. You need like shared ownership. Yeah, that makes sense. So it sounds like when you were selling these annual plans, you kind of had an idea that this was the future. Like you knew team plans were going to be a future. And then you were like, I'll just go ahead and account for that. Because I I think that's one thing I always think about is like even just changing the entities. So you have like users and teams. If you change that too much, or especially if you change like the value metric, I feel like that's where price experiments start to get really hard to figure out. 
I think before I started building it, I had a really strong intuition that it, this product was actually going to be like for freelancers and freelance developers. And this idea that they needed to get on the same page because they were remote to each other. Yeah. But the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I thought about my own career, it just became obvious that the throughput of websites that agencies go through is actually where the value is going to be for them, that they will churn through a site every week or yeah. every month. And a freelancer, it's always going to be hard to sell them on the idea of having this extra tool that they might use three or four times a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, you mentioned Ben Ornstein's mm-hmm. microconf. But yeah, I know this is something it sounds like he's battled with Tuple because... So I have a freelancer Tuple account. Because mm-hmm. your product is similar in that like, if I have a freelance account on a punch list, I can share it. Mm-hmm. Like, There's potential value in me sharing it and those people becoming other customers. Mm-hmm. But then, like, what's the trade-off, right? Like, am I going to churn every two months? And, like, it sounds like teams are the obvious. Yeah. And like, so that's something I'm actually, that's that's interesting. I'm actually thinking through right now what trial looks like, whether it's, like, a seven-day or I want to have one active account and let people share it. But I don't want to knock myself at the knees in terms of what the typical usage is. Yeah. So if someone could get away with one account, you know they'll abuse it. Yeah, totally. This much <laughs> is true. Well, I don't know how this would fit, but like a pricing model that I really like is Notions. Mm-hmm. Do you use Notion mm-hmm. at all? So they have like the, I guess in some ways, kind of what you did with the one seat plan, but they have, the difference is they have like the flat, at least I haven't looked recently, but when we started with it, it was like free for up to X blocks or whatever they call them. But it's like, you can invite as many people as you want. It's like super smart because then... Yep. You hit that usage limit and then you already have your whole team on board it, or at yeah. least some portion of them. I forget what it's like 2000 blocks or something. Like yeah. That. And, and I don't even remember like how yeah. that counts, but it's like well, at that point, you're if you're right. using it with other people, it's like, it's going to be kind of annoying to try to get off of it. Maybe you already intended on buying it anyway, but I thought that was like a cool way to kind of encourage this sharing, but like still obviously like cap the downside of having a free plan. Or I mean, we've thought about it too. Like you could obviously have that base plan be a, like an inexpensive freelance plan. Like, hey, freelancer, you can do it, but you only get X number of projects or something. Yeah, I was talking about this on the podcast the other day, but I really liked on Startups for the Rest of Us recently. They were talking through what a higher price point means for kind of like the fundamentals of churn and the type of people you're attracting. And so my gut initially now is to stay at a higher price point than my competition. Competition's at $10 to $15 a month for a single seat. At 35, it's clearly more expensive, but I think I can work the value of the product up to that pretty quickly yeah and separately the people that are going to be using it see the value in it and it's not just going to be tire kickers so that's kind of where my mentality is right now i still need to figure out like how i want to do trial and what the block method is if if we're thinking about notion yeah because i would assume it's like projects or something projects or maybe it's the amount of feedback or yeah com yeah some sort of like it has to be generous enough but also yeah i mean when you're bootstrapping which i guess notion was initially Mm -hmm. i think but Maybe that's obviously that's an exception. I feel like optimizing for making it a business, a sustainable business is definitely the first thing. Yeah. And in three years, if you want to figure out how to make it viral, then fine. And I think all these things are levers, right? Yeah. So as I see kind of the numbers on the funnel, I can figure out which levers I want to pull to increase the different stages of the funnel. Yeah. I feel like it's so attractive in your brain to be like, oh, I should make a free plan or a mm-hmm. whatever plan and get all these people will just start showing up. And it's like, yeah, the noise that you're creating, it's almost like you want to make it too expensive mm-hmm. and just go just below that. So like you get a few people who pay you actual dollars. That's the funny bit, like having to do all the support requests now. Yeah. Like I can definitely relate with not wanting tire kickers yeah. and people who are going to 
blow me up on a Saturday morning because something's wrong with their site and yeah. not anything wrong with mine. That's something that we've run into with user feed too. Is like I think it's a factor of the price point and also the like channel, which is an app store. Mm-hmm. So like they're coming to us among a list of all of our competitors or whatever. So it's basically like a comparison. You're begging for comparisons and stuff. And so you get these people just installing it, trying it, complaining, asking why things don't work or why it's not cheaper. It definitely wears on you. There's sort of a fatigue around that. I mean, there's an obvious expense to like spending time chatting with people who have no intention of paying for things. Mm -hmm. But there's also just a fatigue that I think over time starts to break you down. So I think if Punchless was a tool that required like weeks of data or multiple like data source connections or things like that. I'd be more interested in like allowing kind of people to play with it. But because it's a tool that most people within the first 30 seconds get it. Yeah, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. The second they invite someone, you get like an oh crap moment when they could see them dropping feedback or liking someone else's comment. And so because of that, because it's pretty instant in terms of like what the value proposition is, I've been less excited to say like, I'm going to give you your first hundred comments for free. Or I'm going to give you your first project for free. Because in my head, if you see the value, great. If you don't, I haven't earned it yet. And I'd rather know that. And yeah, I'd rather you tell me that and not tell me 20 reasons why I should change everything in my product. Exactly. That is a big difference with user feed for us is like, obviously, the feedback we're talking about is like product feedback over time. So there is an element of time in play more so that people may not know. You have to, they have to go like hook it into different things and see how it all works. Yep. And that's something we're still, we haven't really figured out how to like bring those two things together where we aren't trying to make it so cheap that we just get any old schmo in there but we also need to give people time and space to like implement the thing and see yeah, the value it's, of the thing. it's interesting like for you guys once you've set it up and you get your systems in place it kind of like lives right yeah but for punchless i have to hope that they keep coming back and they keep using it and they keep seeing True. value in it so it's like that upfront is quicker but now the concern becomes like recurring exactly usage which i guess is where annual annual deals come in hopefully. exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That's also something we've done a terrible job at is like is making that annual thing more like dangling that a little bit more. I feel like more and more products I use are getting more that way where it's like they're defaulting to showing you annual pricing. They're showing you how much you're saving, mm-hmm. stuff like that, which I don't know how effective it is, but it's worth a shot for sure. Yeah, that's one thing on this new pricing page I have going. I'm really weighing the yearly plans, incentivizing people to use yearly plans, just because I don't find the app to be kind of a daily use right now. Yeah, It's weekly. Definitely it's weekly for most of these agencies. And that's for a few people in the agency. So I think the value's there, but I don't want to have a time where maybe there's a lull in the agency's business and they, they start to churn and they start to question the subscription. So I want to incentivize the annual plans just so that over the course of a year, they'll definitely find value in it consistently. Yeah, But if we start forcing people onto the monthly plans, I worry about churn a little bit more. Yeah, totally. And actually, I feel like too, as we have more and more subscriptions, there's something appealing about annual deals also just because it's just simpler, right? Like obviously it has to be something you intend on using for a year and you save a little money usually. It feels like it's a bigger decision up front, but then you just make it once, right? I mean, obviously. Yeah. But there's something nice about that, not having that thing coming through every month and being like, do I need this? Yeah. Having, like, I don't want to keep making this decision. Just make it once. Having seen a few Stripe accounts where they were very focused on annual, I do think there's like one time during the year there's like a lot of dread there's oh yeah we're, i'm sure we're right about to hit yeah. that day where everyone had the annual plan or we ran some big promotion or something yeah you know monthly you could spread it out you can really understand churn your churn averages yeah but and you second, don't get those zombie customers that are like someone on an annual deal who would have quit in month two but just doesn't sure so you like I mean, just think, you never hear that feedback until it's yeah, eight months later think about how important dunning is when you only get one shot a year 
Yeah, we're getting more of those on ad reform side. So that's something we, we feel a little bit more there. But even those are spread a little bit. So mm-hmm. I guess that's good. I'm starting to see like a lot of startups start doing a lot of pre-emails. Sorry, sorry pre like, hey, you're about to renew. You're about something. to renew or we noticed your card's not updated or just they're going like that extra step to really dial in kind of getting that person prepped. Yeah. That's one of the things that like when you say it, I'm getting like nervous sure. already. <laughs> but I think it's like, let's just be real. Like what the alternative is, if you're going to cancel, you're going to just wait till it's done. I have to refund you or whatever. Like if you're hoping that your customers just forget that they're mm-hmm. paying for your product, that's probably not the best strategy in the first place. I mean, especially if the card's expired, right? Yeah. Like it's not going to work. It's not going to work. We know that. Right. So yeah. let, let's take that extra second to see if we can actually get you on there. And I yeah. honestly, for like you guys and being so tightly integrated with like intercom, like knowing how much they've used the product, like knowing the last time they were active, you can make really smart marketing decisions on how to reach back out to that person totally. and leverage that data. Yeah. So I think it's like that kind of stuff that I really want to spend this pricing update getting really smart about. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. I know we're much farther past your typical episode length. This is kind of where we always find ourselves here, but I appreciate you coming on and we'll check back in. Yeah. Maybe once I'm sure everyone by then will be paying users a punch list. So, <laughs> but yeah. And I guess, are you going to MicroConf? Yeah. In I'm actually April? going for the whole thing this year. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll be there. So come say hi to Pete if you're going to be there. I'm assuming there's a big overlap in our listenership. You can't, you so, can't miss me. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll find him. You'll see him. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, and my we'll pleasure. Talk Thanks soon. for having me. Yeah. See you.